Hey everyone, uh, welcome to uh, episode two of Cigars and Syndication. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed episode one. Uh, I'm here again today with uh, co-host Jay. Hey. And uh, last in our first episode, we we talked about um, syndication, and uh, today we're going to dive a little bit deeper, and we're going to go into active versus passive investing. Hey everybody, my name is Junaid Noor. Um, today we are smoking the Arturo Fuente. Anejos. In the last episode, we smoked the Placencia Sixtos. Um, I really like the smoke. It is, uh, it's a wonderful draw. And I think by the time you get to about half of it, it just becomes spicy and, um, get a little nut, nut flavor in there. What do you, what do you think? I agree. It is a fabulous cigar. Um, really enjoying it. Um, one of the drawbacks is they only make it twice a year. So if you see them, uh, and you like them, you should go ahead and, and purchase them. Uh, the, the Connecticut wrapper is soaked in a cognac for six to eight months. Uh, you really get a lot of that while smoking this cigar. Uh, so far, so good. It's a tremendous smoke. So, Robbie, you know, there are three aspects that all investors should know about investing, uh, whether it's active or passive. And those three, acti- those three aspects are time, risk, and control. Well, well let's start with the single-family homes and how those, those three aspects apply. So, you know, I, I've done a lot of single-family homes, Robbie, and um, with single-family homes, a lot of people want to know, is this worth for me to get into, you know? They hear a lot of stories about, man, I can make $50,000 on the flip, or I can make $100,000 on the flip, but they have to keep in mind those three aspects that we we touched on, which is time, risk, and control. Now, the thing with time is, uh, you have to be able to go into a single family house and you have to you have to do the feasibility. How did I do feasibility? Well, I would sit there, I would get a a single family home from a wholesaler, not retail, so you don't go on to your MLS or HAR and try to find it because those are retail prices. We need to be able to buy them from wholesalers. A wholesaler will be able to give it to you at a discounted rate off of the market. Now, the the issue that I always ran into was wholesalers are always telling you that, oh, this is 30% cheaper than what the market is, or this is 40% cheaper, you know? So we started with a, a, a term called ARV, which is the after repair value. The ARV basically means what will be the price of the home once you've done the repairs and you go and try to sell it for retail. So you're going to buy it at wholesale from a wholesaler, and you're going to try to bring that value up so that you could sell it for retail on the open market. So that's the first term that people need to understand. Um, So when you get that property from the wholesaler, how do you determine what that ARV is going to be? Well, the way I did it was I would uh, punch up the address in the MLS and see the surrounding houses, which are called the comps, right? You have to look at those surrounding houses, see what they sold for, see when they sold, and then you have to go through and look at the pictures. The pictures are very important because the pictures tell you the detail of the finishes, right? So if you're going to try and sell your house and you're not going to have granite, but all the other houses sold with granite, well, then your house is going to come down in value versus if you put granite and all the other houses didn't have granite, your house is going to go up in value. Now, there's a trick to that. You don't want to, you don't want your finishing to be so nice that you've outpriced yourself out of the market. So all of that is a function of the time, the time required to 
to determine what those finishes are going to be, to, to evaluate the houses. And, you know, I, I literally went through 30 houses my first time before I went and bought one. And on each one, I must have spent hours trying to figure out, especially in the beginning was a, was a couple of hours, but eventually I got better and better and better to try and figure out how much will this house sell for? What is the, uh, the amount of rehab that it will take? And how long will that rehab take? Now, going into rehab, you know a lot about rehab. So why don't you tell us a lot about what the pitfalls can be regarding the rehab portion? Well, Jay, those are really good points, and, and they're all applicable to, um, to the rehab portion of the project. Um, so many people get started in single-family homes with just too much emotion. Uh, they, they want to buy the best house, and they want to put granite in. They want to put garden tubs, and, and not necessarily for monetary reasons. Um, you've really got to put nice, strong, solid budgets together. You have got to build and rehab according to the comps in the area because uh, you don't want to price yourself out of the market. Uh, and, and all those aspects, time, control, and risk, they all play a big part of this. I mean, with time, uh, how much time do you have to put into this project? Um, are you, are you a professional? Are you a dentist? Are you a CPA? And what do you do for a living? Do you have kids? You have kids in sports. Um, how much time do you want to dedicate to make this project successful? And then control. Um, how much control do you want? Do you have the expertise to, to, to identify a foundation problem, a roof problem, HVAC problem? Or do you know that you need to rely on professionals and experts to, to make those decisions for you? Uh, the other key aspect is risk. And uh, Jay, do you want to talk about risk a little bit? So now delving into the risk portion of it, uh, the risk portion of it, a lot of people don't understand because they tend to uh, overestimate the value of the the house that they're going to sell it at, and they underestimate what it's going to cost to do the rehab. Um, so one of the things that I did when evaluating the risk was uh, my formula that I would use is that I would take the ARV, which is what is the house going to sell at after the repair. I would want a 30% margin, so I would subtract it by 30%. I would subtract all the rehab budget. So once I understood, hey, it needs a new roof. It needs a new AC. It maybe needs some foundation repair. It needs granite. It needs nice new tile based on the comps. Uh, subtract the, the budget of the... Um, the rehab, and I would come up with a number that I would offer to the wholesalers. And then, of course, you know, the wholesalers want the most that they can get on on the house, and we want to pay the least that we can, and we would negotiate back and forth. But part of the risk management, other than the price of the house, is how are you going to finance this? And one of the ways we would finance it is we would go through um, hard money lenders. Now, that is a risky proposition if you don't know what you're doing, because a hard money lender will give you the funds based on 80% of the ARV, not the price of the house. A, a normal bank will give you 80% or 90% of the loan to cost. That means what you pay for the house. A hard money lender will give you 80% of the after repair value, what the house is going to sell for once the rehab is done. That is a great advantage if you know what you're doing because you have to put very little money out of pocket. But at the same time, a hard money lender will charge uh, substantial fees up front. And then their interest rate, my interest rate when I bought my first single family house was 6% a year for the first two months. After two months, 
it went up to 12%. So it is in the it is in your incentive, you have an incentive to hurry up, get that house fixed and back on the market. And that's what the hard money lender really wants too. They want to help you out, but it is in their incentive to keep their money rolling back and forth and not stuck in one place. And therefore, they're going to they put up this 12% interest rate um over 2 months. Now, if you underestimate the the actual uh rehab time and you take three months or six months now your risk has increased substantially it's cutting into your profit margin and it could cut in there have been people that i knew who who really underestimated their budget it took them 12 months at a 12 percent interest rate to try and get that house flipped but jay as an active investor in a, in a single family home um you you have full control and and make decent returns but how can you um make those same returns as a as a passive investor well robbie you know we touched on this in episode 1 as well uh as a passive investor uh you have to kind of understand that you know you don't have uh you don't have to put up the you don't have the time commitment uh you will be putting up uh, uh more of a um more invest more of an investment mm-hmm. but you don't have the time commitment and you don't have the risk involved so one of the terms that people need to understand when they're investing passively, which means basically that you are giving your money to somebody else to invest on your behalf, just like you would to a stockbroker, just like you do when you invest in a 401k and the administrator of that 401k invests on your behalf. Um, so one of the terms that people need to know is a general partner and a limited partner, which is a GP, general partner, or an LP, a limited partner. As the investor, you're a limited partner, which means that your risk is limited. It's limited to the amount of investment that you've put in. The general partner is the active investor. So the limited partner is the passive investor. The general partner is the active investor. They are now doing what you would be doing in the single family home, but on a much bigger scale. So they need to go find the property. They need to do the evaluation. They will do the feasibility. They will get the financing done. They will sign on the loan and they will be responsible for making those returns happen for the passive investor. As the limited partner, you're the passive investor. You basically invest and you can get almost the same types of returns as, as a, a, an active investor without having to do all the work. So as a limited partner, you're limited. You have limited liability. You're limited to the losses. And you don't really do much more other than collect a distribution at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. So, Jay, you just said that the cash-on-cash return for the active investor, how does that apply to the passive investor? So, Robbie, the active investor determines their returns using cash-on-cash return, which I which I briefly spoke about earlier. The cash-on-cash return is a simple calculation. It's the cash you receive divided by the cash you put in. Now, that doesn't include any loans. It's only the cash you've put down as a down payment. So if you've put in, if you've received, uh, when you sell your property and you receive, you know, uh, $10,000 and your investment was $100,000, you have a 10% return. On the passive side, we use what's called an IRR, which is the internal rate of return. It's very close to the cash on cash return. The the actual formula is a little bit more complicated, and you can go to our website at www.albanyparkcapital.com, hit the resources button, and there is 
Uh, there are articles that we show how these uh, uh, calculations are done. Um, and you can, you can even go into uh, any website, uh, and just Google IRR calculator, and it'll show you how to do an internal rate of return. But the internal rate of return basically is uh, the rate of return that you can get for the investment that you have made over a period of time. So when we say an 18% annualized return, that means you will get 18% every year, but not all in the same year. It'll still add up to 18% per year, but you may get it in year three, or you may get it in year four. So it, it really seems like the active investor, they have work and responsibilities all the way through. Uh, a passive investor has less time involved, less risk involved, less control, but they probably should do a little bit more work up front in understanding their partners. Absolutely. In in episode one, we touched we touched on this a little bit, which is due diligence of your partner. And um, I would suggest that when you are trying to find a partner uh, to do due diligence to to invest with, you find somebody who can prove to you what they've done in the past. You know, show us some case studies. Show us some actual returns. Let us talk to your investors. Show us your underwriting. There should be nothing hidden. There should be nothing uh, under the table. Everything should be above board. What is the general partner, the GP, making? What are their their milestones for making that money? You know, what happens when they hit a ten percent return versus a fifteen percent versus a twenty percent versus a twenty five percent return? Lots of GPs will want more incentives for providing higher returns, and a lot of LPs will be very happy with getting those higher returns and paying those GPs for it. At the end of the day, the GP is the working partner. They're the ones who are running the business. They're the ones who are doing the work. So so what happens after the investments, Jay, uh, in, in an active and a passive scenario? How are the exit strategies similar? How are they different? So when we were talking about exit strategies, and everyone should have an exit strategy before they start their investment. Uh, on the active side, when you're doing single-family homes, when I did single-family homes, my calculation in the beginning was, I am going to walk into equity. My profit is made when I purchase the house, not when I try and sell it and hope uh, that there's going to be a profit. You know, hope is really, hope is not a strategy. Um, for active investors, it's when you flip the house, um, uh, that's when you get your money out, but your profit is made at the purchase. For passive investors, it's the same way. You will look at the internal rate of return and the GP will provide for you what the exit strategy is. Lots of time the exit strategy is that they will refinance the, the property and pay out all the investors. Lots of times the exit strategy is we're just going to sell it to an institutional investor or we're going to sell it to some other investors, group of investors who want to purchase the, the property at a higher rate. In any case, um, whatever investment you're doing, the, the exit strategy should be predetermined before you start getting into the investment. Well, I think with exit strategy, um, uh, I think we kind of, we kind of accomplished what we wanted to this, this podcast. We really wanted to drive home the three main aspects of active versus passive, uh, with time, risk and control. Uh, really hope y'all, uh, learned something today. Uh, if you want to learn more, you can go to albanyparkcapital.com. Uh, we have some great articles on there. Uh, hopefully continue your education and, and, uh, and your investing knowledge. Yeah, Robbie. Um, you know, we're here to, we're here to educate people on, on investing in general. 
Uh, I wanted to do a deep dive into single family homes because that's where I got started. I did a lot of single family homes and now we're doing um, larger passive investments. Um, you know, we're here to educate people. Go to our website, www.albanyparkcapital.com. We have a lot of original articles that we post on there. Uh, you can also follow our social media, leave a comment on our social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. And, you know, if you have any questions, we'd be happy to answer those questions. You know, let people, people should just go ahead and leave comments and, and, and enjoy the show and, and learn. We hope you learn from this. That's the whole objective of this uh, podcast. Well, today during the podcast, we, um, or I really enjoyed the, this Anejo. It's an Anejo 60. Uh, it's a six by 50, uh, Maduro wrapper. Um, it's a really good spicy smoke, uh, with, uh, some hints of vanilla and, and maybe a little coffee, but, uh, amazing smoke. I would, uh, highly recommend it. What do you think about the cigar, Jay? I agree with you. This is a fantastic smoke. I've always loved this Anejo. Hard to find, like you said before. Uh, but it's a nice, nice draw, uh, very flavorful, and I really enjoyed the smoke. All right, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed episode two. Uh, looking forward to seeing you on episode three. Thank you.